Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Higher Ground from Stevie Wonder. Good morning and welcome to Jazz Shapers here on Jazz FM with me, Elliot Moss. Jazz Shapers, the place, of course, you can hear the very best of the people who are shaping the world of jazz, soul and blues, alongside their equivalents in the world of business, a business shaper. My business shaper this morning is Tony Lathwaite of Lathwaite's Wine, the wine-to-your-door delivery people. An absolute phenomenon in this country, and you'll be hearing lots from him very shortly. In addition to hearing from Tony, you'll also be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea, some words of advice for your business. And on top of all of that, of course, some brilliant music from the shapers of jazz, soul and blues, including Louis Armstrong, Diane Reeves, and this from George Zimmerman. Hey, Barton, Barton, what you want? Give me a drink, Daddy. What you gonna do with it? Don't ask me that. You got no money to pay for it? Well, I'm gonna tell you how that is. I ain't got the money to oh, oh. pay for this drink. I ain't got the money to oh, oh. pay for this drink. Boy, I need it bad. Oh, oh. My wine-headed baby taking everything I had. That was Ain't Got No Money to Pay for This Drink. See what we did there from George Zimmerman. Tony Lathwaite is my business shaper, as I said earlier, and he is the co-founder, along with his his wife, Barbara, of Lathwaite's Wine, which I believe turns over quite a few hundred million pounds. Wasn't always like that, I'm sure, Tony. Thank you so much for joining me. How long has your business been going? Business is about 40, I think we're on about 47 years now. Um, I, I... 50 years since I went over to you know, get a job in the vineyards in, in when I left school. And currently you employ how many people? Uh, about a thousand. A thousand people. And turnover is roughly? About 300 and... Lots of millions. Millions. When, when you went over to France, and I, and I believe the story was you were a young man, a very young man, um, and you... you, you you know, did you have ideas of setting up a business of any sort, or was it more of a that no. sounds like fun? No. I want to go to France. We all wanted to, well, lots of us wanted to go to France in those days, in the 60s. You know, that was the cool place to go. I mean, nowadays, you, know, you go off to Australia and around the whole world, don't you? But then France seemed pretty, pretty far away then, and it seemed uh, a lovely place, you know, Brigitte Bardot and, and May Gray, and oh, it was cool. And, um, just wanted to go there but you know jobs were not easy and i i after a few things i ended up in in a winery and when you were there i believe monsieur cassin is the name was was the name who uh, of that man who was uh, who owned the winery and became i think your mentor well he he ran it it was a cooperative winery it wasn't it wasn't a prestige place you know it was it was a village winery but 200 villagers owned it and and he ran it, uh, but he was—I was very lucky in him because he was very progressive. You know, he was—he was a really interesting businessman. I mean, your, your average wine grower, certainly back then, was—you know, didn't know an awful lot about about business. Basically, knew about growing grapes, 
Mr. Kassan, um, he'd been a trader in Africa. He'd he'd come back and he'd had to rescue this cooperative and uh, he was full of ideas and he kind of got me he, well it was him that pushed me into uh, why didn't you why didn't you start in the wine in, industry well, you know why didn't you sell wine when I, I had spectacularly failed to get a decent job with anybody so he said well do it yourself then and did that feel natural? You know, I mean, some people, when I, when I talk to some people I interview, they, they have an idea of what they might do or they've had a passion for something. You obviously had a passion for French culture and the whole romantic notion, as you said, of the, the 60s, as it probably was, black and white movies portraying a beautiful life. Yeah. Um, the wine thing, I mean, I love wine. Many people love wine. You obviously adore wine. Did you think, I could I could make a business here? Did you think that at the time? Or was it more of, well, I'll give it a go? Oh, no, I I suddenly thought, when he said it to me, uh, it happened just one uh, afternoon. He was driving me home from the winery, and it suddenly came out with this. Well, Tony, you you know you could uh, you could always sell our wine in uh, in England, and it really was like something went off in my head. Wow, wow, yeah, I could, and then you know I could. I could write to people and write write mailings and then go and give wine tastings and uh, and yeah it's it's and it um I, I spent the rest of that summer um preparing all the the stuff and sorting out the wine and i even you know designed the wine label of the wine i was going to sell i had one wine um so you know um but came back um uh i was so excited it, it came down to earth a bit when it came back to england and you know well okay well <laughs> i had a dozen half bottle samples and some literature what next? Uh, and uh, I actually, I got a hundred names out of the phone book. I, I wrote him a letter and, I, and offered them a tasting. Would you like, you know, I'll come round and give you a wine tasting. Of, um, I got Monsieur Cassin to write it really and sign it. Yeah, and uh, I was his a- agent. Um, two people um, said yes. Uh, which I was a bit disappointed with. But actually, if anybody who's ever been in the direct marketing industry knows 2%. 2% is not a bad start for your first it's very, It's actually about average. <laughs> and we're going to find out a lot more very shortly about how Tony Lathwaite took the business from two people saying yes to quite a lot more people saying yes over the last 40 years or so. Time for some music. This is Diane Reeves and Wild Rose. Listen to the Wild Rose in That was Wild Rose from Diane Reeves. Tony Lathwaite is my business shaper. He's the co-founder of Lathwaite's Wine. They're the people that have been delivering wine to your doorstep for many, many years. And now, as you may have been hearing earlier, uh, a revenue business around £300 million. Sounds fantastic, doesn't it? An eye-popping number. Um, and around 1,000 people who work for them. But it began, if you were listening earlier, with two people saying yes out of 100 letters uh, that, that Tony himself wrote way back when. So you get the two that say yes. You've got the samples. 
did you start uh, and you obviously you gave them the wine then what happened next i mean did you you sent another mailing did you, you did another event and so on. What, what was the the bit before the explosion <laughs> oh it wasn't an explosion um kind of got a bit disheartened i mean the both of those guys people ordered um but you know that's like i think uh, four cases of wine so it wasn't going to be uh, huge business but the one of them um, started telling his friends and then uh, uh, I went and did a tasting for them and a couple of those were really nice to me and they told their friends and so it, it kind of started on on, on that basis of, of people sort of say hey this guy comes around and gives you a tasting and you know ships the wine and, and of course at that time I imagine um there weren't many wines available widely in the UK. This is what 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 year are we talking about roughly? Do you we're talking sixty nine, right? Started. So you know, even when I was growing up as a kid at the dinner table, you were lucky if you got Blue Nun. At your point, you're already bringing in interesting. Well, there pro- was wine. There, there were plenty not of off much, licenses. Though. No, no, not compared to today. But there yeah. were there were off licenses all over the place. But uh, you know, I this idea that this was something really. Um, straight from the producer mm. and and it did taste different for that reason most of the wine then was bottled in the uk and i don't know it came out a bit funny it didn't really taste like what you tasted if you were in france and a lot of people were beginning to go to france on holidays so he came out and, said, oh. and so this this idea that it was from the producers and everything i said everything i i do and i increased the number of wines that i went to some other friends of Monsieur Cassin, he, he, he introduced me. So I ended up, after a while, with about half a dozen, a dozen wines. And they were all by the producer, you know, all made uh, and bottled by the producer. That was the whole thing. It was a, it came straight. So it's very authentic, proper, very authentic. proper provenance, a proper story. And then I believe also, I mean, to get things going, you needed a van. I believe you borrowed the money from either your grandmother or your, through your mother or something, the story yeah, it goes. Big, it was my grandmother, yes. Grandmother. My grandmother, she was a business uh, woman she she had a small shop she had a, she had a corner shop and um she gave me she gave me 700 quid which was quite useful and um and i got the the growers um they all lent me 200 quid well they gave me 200 quid i don't think i ever paid them back but basically you could <laughs> buy a van then for 1200 quid and then just to jump forward, there's a moment when apparently, if this story is true, there was an expose on a wine fraudster. You wrote in, it was appeared in the Sunday Times, you wrote in and said, this is the problem. There's some real people out there doing really good things, but it's this mob that are making me look bad. 2,000 people apparently contacted you yeah. after that article. Yeah. And from there, if I'm right, the, sun, the, the, kind of the Sunday Times connection, the Sunday Times wine club blossomed. Well, the Sunday Times, oh, I told them about the, the post bag and... Well, they were amazed, um, and they said, "Well, do us a, do us a reader offer." So we, we did a re- we did a reader offer, which is a bloody, uh, you know, going from a little railway arch in one small van there's only a few cases to, I mean, the, you know, we had to guess, but we just about managed it and packing cases all bloody night long, and I people typing out the the the, the labels for the letters on my bed. I mean, you know, they were just. Uh, but we made it, and and that was five thousand people. But talk about opportunity. Five thousand we'll, people. What an opportunity! It'd be incredible. But if you hadn't have written that letter, yeah, we may not have been sitting here right no, now. No, I, I don't. Which is an extraordinary thing, is it? I mean, you just did it because you thought it was the right thing. You just were angry, probably. I, I was. Yeah, I was. I, I had no. I didn't think it would lead to a, a you know a business thing. I mm. but I was so relieved to see to see this. But the Sunday Times did 
had done three or four, so th- that sort of thing. And uh, well, we needed more because, I, on the behalf of my friends out in France, I was incensed that, that mm. you know people were not getting what what they thought they were getting. And these guys in France worked their what's it's off to produce the really good stuff and to do it properly. And it wasn't it wasn't getting here. So you see, the lesson is actually channel your anger get and you'll, you'll get lots and lots of business from it. Much more coming up from Tony Lathbrook, my business shaper, but latest travel in a couple of minutes first. And before that, some words of wisdom for your business from our programme partners at Mishkondare. My name is Andrew Remington and I'm a corporate partner at Mishkondare. Uh, I'm often asked by clients uh, what are the key issues to make sure that they do not lose sight of when entering into negotiations. Uh, one of the key components is understanding what your bottom line is. Um, very often clients will enter into a deal um, knowing that they need to do that deal at, at any cost. And very often that can be quite damaging because they don't know what their own limitations are and what, what restrictions they need to impose upon themselves before walking into the deal. So understanding what your limitations are, empathising with what the other side's position is, but realising that ultimately if you cannot achieve your bottom line, that there is another day and you should walk away from the transaction and very often the transaction may come come back uh, at some later date but only if the deal terms are right for both sides Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea it's business but it's personal you're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Every Saturday morning from 9 till 10, you can catch me talking to a phenomenal and interesting and hopefully insightful person who is shaping the world of business and indeed has been shaping the world of business for many, many years. In the instance of my business shaper today, Tony Lathwaite. He's the co-founder of Lathwaite's Wine. And if you were listening earlier, which I hope you were, you would have heard that Mr. Angry became Mr. Very Successful in Business. So, Tony, you, you, you write in the letter responding to one of these number of exposés about the wine business, the, the, the Sunday Times business starts to flow suddenly things are ramping up and and i imagine that actually as much as the stress of not having business is one thing the stress of having business becomes a totally new ball game can you go back then remember those years when suddenly you were growing at a pretty rapid rate how did you how did you cope I cope well thanks to monsieur monsieur cassan he he uh, continued to to give us advice he would um but the the Oh, of course, there was Barbara, and Barbara had come along. Um, is your wife? Uh, as my well, yeah, she was my girlfriend then, and she she was always telling me, you know, you're doing it all wrong, and you know, your, your sums don't add up, and things like that. And so, just one day, I said, well, if you think you're so bloody clever, come and show me how to do it. And she actually packed in a really good job. Uh, she, everybody told her she was mad and came and helped me and she basically took over that side of it so I'm not really what you know I can't I can never claim to be a proper entrepreneur who, who, who who's a bit of a whiz with uh, business plans and you know doing uh, clever financial transactions I'm hopeless at all that but Barbara can do it but, but that's the point isn't it though because lo- again it sounds like teamwork between the two of you whether it was someone else happened to be your girlfriend who then became your wife and so on I don't think anyone ever claims they can do everything, but you're being very, very honest about the fact that, excuse the pun, you had an, a great nose for what would sell and how to, and the fact that you were passionate about something. I mean, of course the numbers need to be worked out and of course there needs to be a business plan, but you must subscribe to the idea that the passion behind any successful business is really the thing that drives it. Is that true? Yes. I think um, 
I mean, I, I was told back then, you, you're going back to the days before, you know, there wasn't much encouragement given back then to small businesses. Uh, was, you couldn't get premises, you couldn't get loans and stuff. Um, and everybody said, and the, and the top rate, you know, people used to tell me that, well, you, you start making money, you know, top rate of tax is 98%. So, uh, really? And then other people would always say, uh, of course, you know, in wine trade, the only way to make a small fortune in the wine trade is start with a big one and and things like that. You, you, nobody makes money in the wine trade. But, but I, I decided, well, I don't care. It's, it's, this is what I want to do. I love this this game. It's fantastic. Driving down to France uh, every month and collecting wine, well, I couldn't think of a better way to pass my life. And, and Barbara didn't seem to mind staying at home and doing the accounts. And uh, so... I thought that that you know that because it was what I really want to do because it was my 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 passion thing um that would that would see me through and that would be fine I'd settle for that but uh, as you say it started ramping up it did get hairy then that that got a bit scary because you suddenly you're talking large sums of of money and and uh, and I want to hear all about what what got hairy and how you handled that time for some music this black cat has nine lives coming up from Louis Armstrong it's the final track from his final jazz album recorded to mark his 70th birthday This black cat This black cat that was This Black Cat Has Nine Lives from Louis Armstrong. Tony Lafo is my business shaper, and we were talking about it getting hairy. 1994, if I'm right, Tony, your business, to your point about numbers, was around 50 million turnover. Mm. So so young, the young Tony who'd gone off to get a few bottles from the polite Monsieur Cassin had now, was now, with his wife, involved in a business, as you said, turning over significant amounts. And 50 million now is a lot. In 94, it was an absolutely extraordinary amount. You had to get, I imagine, to manage those hairy moments. You had to get much more organised, and I believe you then did what businesses have to do. You had a, you had a proper, you had more of a board. You had people that came in to look after the numbers, to look yeah. after the the technology, look after the supply chain, and so on and so forth. Was it weird for you having to get more structured yeah. for a person that enjoys, yeah. you know, just the? Well, yeah. For the first twenty years, it was it was basically Barbara and me, uh, you know, and some some um, some people helped us, obviously, but. It was a mom and pop shop, and it grew to about fifteen million uh, with with just that. Then I had a heart attack, um, and for, for, there were other reasons, but um, basically, I think the pressure was getting to us. Mm. Barbara also had a, had a she had a brain um, uh, thing, which uh, you know this is quite stressful. Um, so we both realised well we had to get out of it. Well, that's what we were told. The doctor said, um, you know, sell. Um, uh, no, we can't. We don't. We don't sell. But we'll. So we went out and found a, a bunch of um, guys who who came in as a as a proper structured board, and they were good. We, you know, we really seemed to have picked a a, a very good team because it went from fifteen million, as you were saying, ninety four was up to fifty million, and, and it went up to hundred million, and then hundred and fifty. I mean, so they were doing something right. They, yeah, they they were. They, you know, I. To, I take claim for having sort of set up the the model that really worked, but they, but you needed 
you need a proper structure and you need proper software and all that sort of stuff. But they, at the heart they did of all that, that. And, and at the heart of that are personal relationships. Um, the, the story goes that you, you know, there were fights, as there would be. You're the owner. It's your baby. It's your wife's baby too. They're coming in. They're quote unquote professionals. They know what they're doing. And yet. And if I'm if I'm not mistaken, tell me this is wrong if it is. But I think you engage London Business School to help you actually mediate some conflict through yes, those. Did. Through those. I mean, but that's a very that's a very wise thing to do because some owners who can't let go just say, "Oh, forget it." Kick out a bunch of really qualified people and they never move on. It sounds like you kind of knew, but it wasn't very comfortable emotionally. Yeah, it, it was right. It was uh, me and the, the managing director. We got to the point where we couldn't really look each other in the eye and talk. You know, a bit and, tricky that. Um, but I mean, you know, why I didn't want to get rid of him because I mean, he he, well, he was just making the business really sing. But I felt it had to move on because the, the the world market, I mean, the markets change and everything was changing. So there was that was the basis of a, of what could have been a lot of disagreement. But you got no, we got it. this woman in from London Business School, and she was she was great. She we'd take we go out to a pub somewhere and take a room and. You know, she'd sit between us and, like, you know, teacher at school. Now, will you look at him? <laughs> will you be? Will you say what you want? And and then, and you know, well, he wasn't nice to me today. And, and then he'd growl back at me. And then, but but by the end of the day, we we were we were fine. It was like marriage guidance, really. But it, but it it allowed it all to come to a nice. I mean, Greg was with us for 15, 14, 15 years. Um, fine. He, he's he, he wanted to move on as much as I thought we probably needed a, a fresh yeah. fresh brain. Fresh mm. Final chat come out with Tony, plus we'll be playing a track from DJ Giles Peterson's latest project. That's after the latest Traffic and Travel here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Southern Freeze from Son Zero, and it's off the new album Brazil, Bam Bam Bam, produced by the phenomenal Giles Peterson. Tony Lathwaite is my business shaper, just for a few more minutes, and he has told us in in very um, kind of down-to-earth terms what business was like going from a couple of bottles to the mere few hundred million pounds with a few arguments down along. Down-to-earth is all I can do. Down-to-earth <laughs> is all you can do, exactly. You have always remained involved with your business, and, and you still and you're still here to tell the tale. Those health scares for both your wife and you obviously had an impact. Do you think you continue to be watchful of that over the years? My have, health? Yeah. I oh, mean, God, yes. <laughs> and how have you done that? Because it's very hard for people. You said, oh, you know, we knew there was stress being created. How do you manage the stress and the ownership bit and still control your instincts? Uh, it's difficult, but, but you know, it's better than it's better than not having the business. I couldn't, you know, not, I couldn't be without the business. And, and, and Barbara couldn't either because she's now quite into it. She's got her own vineyard and stuff's making her own mind. So she's more into it than than she ever was. But. And as technology has changed, obviously tons of stuff is online now. You've obviously got great, you've got people in the business that have been helping you move along in terms of the way that the channels bring yep. your, bring your yep. product to market. Any difficulties going? Well, that seems a bit weird and faddish. Or have you again accepted realities and more like that, more, more than that, embrace them? 
No, I'm no, I'm fine with all that. I think we should still keep some of that. There are some eternal truths and there's eternal um, things about wine which you shouldn't, you should, you break with at your peril. But all the new uh, channels and so on, and so on, I'm all for that. I, don't ask me to do it or necessarily no. understand it, but I'm, I think it's fantastic. Um, and, and over the years, have you have there been people that have stood out for you as people that you've really taken counsel from in oh, those yeah. darker moments? And who would they be? Well, apart from Monsieur Monsieur. Uh, Cassin. There was a, another French guy called Maurice Gouzon who had uh, started with a bicycle and, and built uh, a big business all across France. He, he gave me lots of advice. Um, there was the, the Moex, uh, old, old uh, Jean-Pierre Moex, who again started with a bicycle and built up. Uh, he owned, ended up owning Chateau Petrus and a few other things. And what would they have said to you, if you recall? Were there moments, I mean, were there specific things that really stick with you? I always remember the finger wagging saying, Calité, Tony. Never forget the Calité. The Calité. Uh, uh, you know, if you pursue price, if you pursue... Um, you're taking a risk. Just go for the quality. The, that will give you higher prices than you probably are, uh, want. But you deviate from that and it will start to go wrong age-old wisdom of why and you talked before um about um the thing it being difficult to make money in the wine business and obviously you have made money in the wine business within those a b and c one two and three things that have been at the center of how you've made money and probably quality was a big a big part of that what else what other advice would you give to anyone in any business in terms of being able to deliver success on a you know on a decade by decade by decade basis as you have done because it's phenomenal how have you what do you think have been your values as you've gone along what do you think have well been i think your- you must i i i would say but i would wouldn't i you you could do something you you'd like to do irris- you, know, you don't go into something where you think oh i can make a lot of money at that I, I I never did that. I didn't. Barbara didn't re- re- do that. She thought she could save me from bankruptcy, but she didn't think that it was going to be, um, uh, you know, a big a big fortune. And, and all that we're still a bit bemused by that. And you know, but it it has been all these years. It's 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 not as if we're a flash in the pan or anything. A sudden success. It's it's. Uh, and I got the sons. The sons. All my all our three boys are sort of doing. A similar sort of thing, and you know, Will didn't want to do wine; he wanted to do beer. So he 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 started up a brewery, and he he loves the business, and he's quite also quite surprised. He's just beginning to make a little profit. So well, that's fine. I, but I think that's you know, a, a guy asked me yesterday. One of, one of the guys works for me. He he just we were doing a a pres- I was doing a presentation. And he said. What you just said, how, what should I do? To are you want to be a graphic designer? I said, well, if you love graphic design and so on and so forth, that's what you do. You just you just stick to doing exactly what you like. That gives you the sustainability because you you can then uh, you can take the knocks because you'll always get knocks. There'll always be bad patches. God knows, there's plenty of bad patches. But if you enjoy it anyway, so you go through the bad patches. <laughs> Very wise advice. Just before I let you go, Tony, um, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Well, I've chosen a, a Fat Swallow number because I, I'm not very musical myself, but my parents both were. And my father in particular, he, he played, he, he was good on the piano. I miss him a lot. Um, and uh, I, I grew up uh, as the first sounds I, I ever heard would, were, were sort of um, jazz uh, um Thing and particularly boogie woogie piano, and 
you know, I always wanted to be able to play boogie piano, and I can't. I've I've had lessons. I, people have tried to teach it me, but you, I can't. I just can't do it. But I, I still love to listen to it. In fact, well, as well as being the piano, he's he's so funny. Um, uh, you know, I and it and it's nostalgic for me. Tony Lathwaite, thank you very much for being my business shaper. This is Fats Waller my pleasure. and Moppin and a Boppin. Want some more of that mess? Well, here it is. Zooty, take over. Pour it on them. That was Fat Swaller with Moppin' Anna Boppin'. The song choice of my business shaper today, Tony Lathwaite. What a down-to-earth man indeed. Totally hands-on through the 40 years or so that his business has been going and someone who fundamentally believes in the importance of passion behind any great business. Do join me again, same time, same place. That's next Saturday, 9am here on Jazz FM for another edition of Jazz Shapers. Meantime, though, stay with us. Nigel Williams is coming up next. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea, it's business, but it's personal.